Judges chapter number 20, if you would. I've got a fairly lengthy passage of Scripture here this morning, but I would like for you to stand this morning in honor to the Word of God. And I've tried my best to selectively uh, not read. Really, we could easily read three chapters in order to set the tone and understand what's going on in this story and how it's relevant to the message here today. But I've selected a, a number of verses that I believe will uh, will be a helpful opening text for the message that God's given us today. Verse number 11 of Judges chapter number 20. So all the men of Israel were gathered together against the city, knit together as one man. I like that. I like it when people join together for God's cause and are knit together as one man. It's rare. We don't see it or experience it very often, but I tell you what, it is a very special thing when the Holy Spirit unites God's people, not through compromise, not through tactics, not through any of man's devices, but just that unity of being born again and sharing a common cause. Verse number 12, and the tribes of Israel sent men through all the tribe of Benjamin saying, what wickedness is this that is done among you? Now, therefore, deliver us the men, the children of Belial, which are in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and put away evil from Israel. But the children of Benjamin would not hearken to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. But the children of Benjamin gathered themselves together out of the cities unto Gibeah to go out to battle against the children of Israel. The children of Benjamin were numbered at that time out of the cities, 20 and 6,000 men that drew sword beside the inhabitants of Gibeah, which were numbered 700 chosen men. Among all this people, there were 700 chosen men left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at an hairbreadth and not miss. The men of Israel beside Benjamin were numbered 400,000 men that drew sword. All these were men of war. The children of Israel arose and went up to the house of God and asked counsel of God and said, which of us shall go up first to the battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. And the children of Israel rose up in the morning and encamped against Gibeah. The men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. The men of Israel put themselves in array to fight against them at Gibeah. The children of Benjamin came forth out of Gibeah and destroyed down to the ground of the Israelites that day twenty and two thousand men. The people, the men of Israel, encouraged themselves and set their battle again in array in uh, in the place where they put themselves in array uh, the first day. The children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until even. And asked counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up again to battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother? And the Lord said, Go up against him. The children of Israel came near against the children of Benjamin the second day, and Benjamin went forth against them out of Gibeah the second day, destroyed down to the ground of the children of Israel again 18,000 men. All these drew the sword." Then all the children of Israel and all the people went up and came into the house of God and wept and sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until even and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. The children of Israel inquired of the Lord. 
for the Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. In short, God's presence was there. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet again go out of battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into thine hand. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, the war of 2022. Join me as we go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessings on us today. Father, it's a joy and a privilege to be able to preach the word of God, to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we preach this message here today, we pray, Father, that it would be preached as it is in truth, the word of God and not the opinion of man. We pray, Father, that it would be received as such. Open up our hearts and minds Stir our hearts, wake us up, challenge us, help us to realize that we are in a battle for the souls of men. Lord, the devil seems to be winning on every side, and Christians just seem to be coasting and sleeping, and Lord, it's my heart's desire, God, that you'd wake us up here today. Help us, Lord, we pray. If there's anyone that's listening that's without Jesus Christ, Lord, uh, this message, Lord, uh, applying it will will make no difference whatsoever to them if they don't first put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So we pray for them today. We pray, God, that whoever listens to this message, their heart would be challenged and encouraged. And, Lord, that you give us the direction that we need and know what we need to do to respond to this world that we're living in. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This past Friday, June 24th, 2022, the Supreme Court of the United States of America, in a five to four vote, voted to overturn the Roe v. Wade decision that took place back in 1973. This ruling in 1973 basically made abortion, the killing of unborn babies, a constitutional right for every citizen of the United States of America. The ruling that happened uh, this uh, past Friday did not make abortion the killing of... You know, I like to refer to it as what it is, the killing of unborn babies. The ruling on Friday did not make that illegal, which is what really should happen in our nation if we were to honor God and do what is right. It simply means that each state can now establish their own restrictions or prohibition on the killing of unborn babies. When I heard the news on Friday, it really surprised me. It seemed uh, just it just seemed surreal. I didn't know exactly how to feel about it. I knew that it was in the works. The news media had been talking about it. Somebody leaked it out that this was on the docket, and uh, I know that the abortion rights people that they were getting pretty worked up and pretty upset by what they suspected was going to happen. And so I knew all of this was going on, but to be quite honest, it took me by surprise. I I was shocked because, and, and even when it happened, I didn't know how to feel about it. It seems like the side of righteousness in our society today regarding civil government and morality, it just seems like that we lose so much that it's kind of hard to accept. It just didn't seem real and So why aren't we turning cartwheels over this decision? That's kind of what I asked myself, because we prayed for this, and I was excited about it. But when it happened, I just thought, I didn't know how to feel about it. And I've talked to many 
of God's people since then, and it seems like the reaction has been the same. You know, we're, we're glad, but we're just a little bit apprehensive as to what this really means. Why is that? Well, I think there are several reasons for that. I think that probably we understand that our current president, who was adamantly and vehemently opposed to this decision, as well as our Congress and Senate, there's probably a good chance that they're going to be working overtime to try to change the amount of Supreme Court justices that we have to stack the court, to change the rules in order to get the ruling that they want, the same thing that they falsely have accused the previous um, regimes of doing and so forth. And so I can say that it's very possible that uh, within the next two years that the Supreme Court will go from nine justices to possibly 13 or 14, depending on when the next one retires and is replaced by a liberal judge and so forth. We, we know that that's possible, that that is uh, it can very possibly and likely happen, and I would encourage you to pray that it doesn't happen. If that happens during this tenure of our president, then uh, it's going to be major ramifications for many, many years to come. Because, see, the problem is, is there's a new election coming up in 2024, but we all know that the Supreme Court justices are elected for life. And so how many years, if the court becomes liberal in such a unfair way of playing to where they add liberal, add four or five liberal judges all at one time, I think we can all uh, intelligently discern that that's not going to be a good thing for our country. And if it's not a good thing for our country, then it's not a good thing for our culture. If it's not good for Washington, D.C., it's not going to be good for Statesville. And so it's certainly something that we need to be aware of and we need to pray for. But at the same token, I, I want to remind myself, as well as you, that we should at least acknowledge this as a victory. The book of Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8, says something that we all need to remind ourselves of, especially in this day and age that we live in, that whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You know, good news is so rare, and I know it's easy to become skeptical, and that skepticism can turn into cynicism, and we just, you know, all we see is the negative and the things to complain about, and when we do that, we fall into the trap of Satan. God's people are not supposed to, listen, how we feel and how we live should not be dictated by what's going on in the world around us. We have plenty of things to be thankful for. We have plenty of things to have joy in our heart. And the Bible says that we should focus on thinking about those things, not irresponsibly, not sticking our head in the sand like an ostrich would and pretending that the bad things aren't happening. I'm not talking about that. I'm just simply saying that while we deal responsibly and do everything we can to be a, um, an ambassador for Jesus Christ, to be salt and light in the world in which we live, we cannot start living our life as if this world is our home. Listen, if this ruling that happened on Friday, if it spares the life of one unborn baby, I'd have to say, I'm, I'm rejoicing in that. 
It's a great thing, and, and no doubt it probably will. There were 11 states that already, in anticipation of this, had laws on the books that as of Friday, abortion is either illegal or severely restricted in those 11 states. And there's 11 more that's got some legislation that's going down the pipe that, you know, everybody predicts that it's just a matter of time that those laws are going to pass. That's 22, that's half of the states, or close to half of the country. But we need to understand that abortion is still legal in most of our nation. And so it's it's not time to count this as a victory like the war has been won. Now I will say this, our state here in North Carolina, I think we're all a little bit uncertain which direction we're going to go. Our state is what I would say, and please forgive me, I know I wasn't born in this state, but I've lived in this state about half of my life, so I think I've been here long enough that I can say this without fear of offending anyone. Our state is a little bit politically schizophrenic. From election to election, you just don't know what we're going to get, and you know, coming from a state that was just always almost, I mean, like clockwork, conservative and everything, that, that's always perplexed me, is like, how can the pendulum swing like really, really conservative, really, really liberal? How can you vote for an extremely conservative president and then elect an extremely liberal governor? I, it just, it's always, I've scratched my head, and so the best way I know to describe it is we're a little politically schizophrenic. From 1973, when Roe v. Wade was passed, up till 2020, and forgive me, I can't, we don't have statistics for 2022, they're not available yet, and even 2021, it takes a while for the, whoever does the research to compile all the statistics, so these are the most recent that I can find. From 73 to 2020, listen to this, 63 million 459,781 unborn babies were killed in the United States of America. The home of the free and the land of the brave. The one nation under God. And only 1.5% of these unborn babies who were killed were killed due to rape or incest. And isn't that what the liberals trumpet? If you take away Roe v. Wade, then what about the rape and the incest? 1.5%. Ironically, 1.5% is right about the same amount of mothers who have abortion that end up with health problems that either take their life or just completely debilitate them for the rest of their life. One and a half percent equal. I just find that very ironic. In 2020, and I would guess if we, when we get 2021 or 2022 statistics, this percentage is probably up. In 2020, 86%, are you listening? 86% of those abortions that took place in 2020 Almost a million. Actually down from previous years. It used to be up around 
1.2 million a year, and it, it started declining. I don't know why that is. Maybe they're not reporting them all. Maybe because of all of the contraception and so forth. I don't know. But about 980,000 unborn babies were killed in 2020. 86% of those were all unwed mothers. I don't have this in my notes, but I want to say this. You know why they're all upset about Friday's ruling? Because they love their sin. They love their premarital and extramarital sex. So that's what it's all about. It's a God in America. Let's just face it. There's several gods in America. That's one of them. Alcohol's the other. Sports is the other. I'm not saying that sports is wrong, but let's face it, it has become a God in America. I don't think anyone can deny that when people, and I'm not going to move into that. Listen, the hypocritical liberals are enraged, and they are hypocritical liberals, and here's why I say that. Some of the same leaders that have been trumpeting the January 6th insurrection, that's what they call it, if it is an insurrection, the liberals have been trumpeting, and here's what they've been saying, we've got to protect the sanctity the sanctity of the institutions of our democracy. We got to protect these institutions. And the same ones are condemning the Supreme Court, which is a major institution of our democracy, calling it illegitimate. (laughs) They're complaining about the previous president calling the election illegitimate. But now a fair vote, count them, Hey, listen, there were no machines counting these, this five to four vote. It's illegitimate. It was rigged. They cheated. What a bunch of stinking hypocrites. Forgive my sarcasm. I take that back. I don't apologize for it. It irritates me. It's just not right. We're in a country where even those who agree from our perspective, aren't exactly principled in the way that they play the game. You know, I'm very thankful for our previous president who, he, he, he took some heat for trying to get the Supreme Court with what it is today. He did it within the confines of the law. He did it fairly. Uh, even though others accused it of being unfair and they fought against it with everything that they could, but he did it according to the laws of the land, and I appreciate that. And he took a lot of heat for it. It just kind of irritates me that he's taken all the credit for it as well. I wish that he would continue to be to stand for what he has stood for and just be a little bit more of a gentleman about it, a little more humble And realize that, hey, if anything good happens in this nation, I'll tell you who gets the credit. God Almighty gets the credit. He's the one that raises up men. He's the one that's in control. We ought to be giving glory and honor to Him because that's where it belongs. Now, back to our Bible. In our opening text, this is a small portion of the last three chapters of the book of Judges. It's a story that's filled with confusion 
moral and social dysfunction, as well as civil war. I will discreetly attempt to draw out the pertinent information from this three-chapter story. Briefly, discreetly, and as I begin to describe it, if you're familiar and you've read these last three chapters in the Bible, you can certainly appreciate and understand how they need to be spoken about, especially with children present in a very discreet manner. I'll do it as discreetly as I possibly know how and still paint the picture that needs to be painted here today. We have here that a Levite has a concubine, which we would just call that a purchased wife. I'm not for that. I don't think that God's for that, but that's what happened back in these days. And this uh, concubine, purchased wife, who he, she runs away from home and she goes back to her family and she begins to fool around with some of her old flames. As the scripture says, she played the whore. The Levite goes to fetch her back. While returning home with his concubine, he spends the night in an old man's house who's of the tribe of Benjamin. That night, a bunch of Benjamin perverts, the Bible calls them sons of Belial. We would say, we would say they're a child of the devil. These perverts, they encompass the house roundabout because they have the desire to do a very unthinkable thing to this Levite. In order to save their lives, the old man and the Levite, they deliver this concubine to them that night and they spend all night having their way, doing what they want. And in the morning, she's there on the doorstep And she's dead. The Levite then takes her body. He divides it into 12 pieces and sends a piece to each of the 12 tribes of Israel. The leaders of Israel, they come together to investigate what in the world is going on here. How could somebody send us a message with a part of a woman's body. They investigate and they discover what the Benjamites had done and what they had attempted to do that night. And then they begin to counsel, we better do something about this. In 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 16, the Word of God says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And this story that ends the book of Judges is the epitome of of really an overlying theme that goes through all the book of Judges. Now keep in mind, this is after the children of Israel. Moses brought them through the wilderness. After 40 years, they finally cross over to Jordan into the promised land, and God gave him his covenant, and he said, listen, if you'll serve me and follow me, if you'll do right, I'll bless you. Your crops will be blessed. You'll get rain when you need it. You'll get the sunshine that you need. You'll be healthy. I mean, he said, I'll bless your economy. I'll bless your children. Basically, God says, I will give you a kingdom that is very much like a utopia, and all you have to do is just follow me and serve me. Obey me and everything will be great. But just like us today, 
We have the promises of God. We have the New Testament, and we tend to ignore them just like Israel did. And so God began to do what He promised that He would do. They rejected Him, and He sent all of the problems and the plagues and the enemies and so forth. And by the time we get to the book of the end of Judges, we are seeing a culture that is completely created by this concept that we read about, that it says that the children of Israel, there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Sound familiar, 2022 America? Sound familiar, 2022 Christian? You take the churches and the pastors and too much of it going on in America, and we see way too much. There is no king. Hey, I've got a King James Bible right here. And this book right here is supposed to be our final authority in all matters of faith and practice. There's no king in the church today. Every man is doing that which is right in his own eyes. And so what can we make out of this just tragic story? In fact, when I read this story, it just, it almost makes me shudder inside to really put myself and to think what that must have been like for that Levite and that old man and just the wickedness that was around them. They're beating down the door and trying to get in and do the unthinkable. Why did that Levite do that? We'll see here in just a moment why he did it. But all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. What can we learn from this story? Well, first of all, I'd like to say number one is what will it take you to shock you into action? The church is asleep. What's it going to take? This Levite did the, I mean, he, he did something. It's like, that is just grotesque. How could you do that? And I know what this Levite was thinking. This is horrible. Nobody's doing anything about it. Do you think for a moment that the rest of the tribes didn't really know what Benjamin was like? Oh, they knew. They knew, but they didn't want their comfort to be, they didn't want to be shaken up. They didn't want to get involved. You know, I just don't want to get involved. How many times have I heard God's people say, I just don't want to be involved? Guess what? That's why we're where we're at. In 2017, I preached against Disney's remake of Beauty and the Beast, which contained a homosexual scene. The response of Christians, to be quite frank, was really, really sad and disheartening. People that I knew posting stuff on Facebook, it's like, oh, what's the big deal? It's just a little scene. And I heard this time and time, if you would have, if you blink, you would have missed it. And I'm going, what? Are you crazy? You've got kids. And you're promoting this. I mean, I I thought about this. These are people that I knew and that knew me. And it's like, you're criticizing the preacher. Let me tell you something. Sometimes preachers get worked up over sin. Cut the preacher a slack just every now and then. Preachers aren't dictators that, hey, if you don't see everything the way I see it, I'm going to shun you or 
all that. Preachers are just passionate because they care about people. Sometimes they get worked up because they get tired of seeing lives and homes and just wrecked and marriages wrecked and children who grow up in a good church and a good Christian home and see the, see them go out to the world and the devil and just throw away their lives for things that don't matter for nothing. Cut the preacher a little bit of slack. You don't have to always agree with them, but man, if it doesn't matter, why would you support Disney over a man of God who's, I mean, even halfway a decent man of God? You blink, you miss it. Ah, what's the big deal? Today, Disney has their new movie, Lightyear, Buzz Lightyear. I remember Buzz Lightyear. I've seen the Toy Story shows and so forth. And, you know, there's always, Disney's always had just a little subtle agenda there that's, you know, a little humanistic, a little bit uh, liberal in their agenda. But they've always, it's always been a little bit mild. And to be quite I mean, to confess my fault, I've, I've put up with some of it because of the entertainment value. But I've also watched how they just continue to crank up the, the volume of their agenda. You know, the devil used to hide his agenda, but now he doesn't have to hide it. He's right out there in the open and people still don't see him. He doesn't disguise himself. He's just walking out in our public and people are like, ooh, no big deal. Buzz Lightyear has a total LGBTQ agenda, a lesbian character kissing her partner. No big deal, right? Listen, how do you think these Benjamites, I'm talking about Disney, they're a bunch of Benjamites, they're sons of Belial. Where, how do they get so much power to influence our children? How do they get such a voice to be able to trumpet their agenda? I'll tell you why. Because they are rich and they have a huge audience. And where does this come from? A bunch of suckers. Too many of them are God's people. God's people blend in and support today's culture just as much as the heathen do. Perhaps even more. Hey, let me ask you a question. This is just, I'm being, you know, just like the Levite did what he did for a little shock and awe. Let me give you a little just hypothetical shock and awe here this morning. What would you think of me and the deacons if we presented to you that, hey, we're going to take your missions money and we're going to support Al-Qaeda? How would you like that? You'd be enraged. You'd be, you're not taking my money and send it to Al Qaeda. They're trying to destroy us. I hope you get the point. Supporting all these Benjamites out there. You're making them powerful and they're destroying our culture. Listen. You got Disney, you got CNN, you got the social media platforms. You know, did it not shock you that the last election, how that all of the social media platforms were censoring anyone that disagreed with mainstream? Listen, I know that some of the disagreements are nonsense. 
I, I understand that, but we used to be a nation of free speech. Did it not concern you that they said, look, we're going to allow anyone with our acceptable agenda to speak their peace, but if you don't, if you don't have our agenda, we're going to shut you down. I know that bothered me. Uh, it bothered me because I realized just how powerful the Benjamites are in our culture today. And we've empowered them. Media, sports. You know, we, we live in a state that the, the, the overwhelming majority of the population said, we don't want same-sex marriage. And you know what the NBA did? They, they said, we're going to cancel. We're not going to take our all-star game to Charlotte. And guess what? An election, the very next election, we had a new governor. We went from a conservative governor to a liberal governor, all because they were mad at the previous governor because of him, his opposition to all of this LGBTQ and same-sex marriage. At the root of it, we don't want our sports to be lost. We don't want them to take our game to another city. Hollywood and so forth. They're all a bunch of Benjamites. If you're a believer, you shouldn't have them in your missions budget. Because they do have a mission, by the way. How bad will it have to get for you to do this? 2 Corinthians 6.17 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. That's not some crazy preacher's opinion or agenda. That's the Word of God. God says, I don't want my children. I want, you're my children. I want you to act like my children, not like the children of this world. So what will it take to shock you into action? Secondly, I want to say this. We see in our text that the wicked love their sin more than you hate it. This is prevalent in a culture where everyone's doing that which is right in their own eyes. It's just a symptom. It's not the problem per se, but it's a symptom of the problem because the problem is a heart problem. Listen, not everyone in our text was totally wicked. Not everyone in the tribe of Benjamin was totally wicked. It was certain sons of Belial, but the problem is they're putting up with it. Not everyone was totally wicked, but few were fervently righteous. And so Psalm 97 verse number 10 says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Hey, is hate okay? Absolutely. Because if you don't hate evil, then you don't love God. And God's worthy of love. And let me tell you something, God loves you. Listen. It's not a choice. It's a sin. It's not an alternate lifestyle. It's abomination. It's not an affair. It's adultery. It's not cohabiting. It's fornication. It's not personal identity. It's rebellion. Well, I want to identify as a man or a woman, or I want to identify as a cat. Let me tell you something. In the beginning, God created them male and female. If you were born a male, you're a male. If you were born a female, you're a female. 
I don't care what you want to identify with. Listen, if you want to act silly and immature and rebel against God, and you're basically saying, God, you created me this way, but I don't like the way that you made me. I'm going to be what I want to be. That's just rebellion. Listen, if a person wants to act that way, fine, but don't make it a civil right. It's a behavior. And that's the crazy thing about the LGBTQ. It's the first group of people ever in America that got civil rights over a behavior, not an inherent thing that they were born with, such as a skin color, an ethnicity, a gender, and so forth. The Constitution has always protected civil rights, that all men are created equal in the sight of God. But for people to say, I want to identify with this or that, there's a bunch of young people in our community, in this county, in a high school that are saying, hundreds of them saying, we we identify as a cat. So they dress like a cat and they want a litter box in the public school restroom. They go around, they hiss at people. I'm not joking. This is, this is not hearsay. It's real. You know what I say? It's like, okay, if you want to act that way, eat nothing but canned cat food. You can't pick and choose. This isn't a, you, you get cat food. Nothing but. See how much you want to be like a cat now. It's just, it's just a bunch of crazy people wanting to get attention. And listen, let me, let me just say, I know, I, I know I'm not coming across this morning with compassion because I'm talking about war here today, okay? I'm talking about war, but I promise you, my heart breaks for this. And I have compassion because the people that are behaving this way, the problem is, is they're seeking attention and what they really down deep want is acceptance. They've not been getting it from the sources that they're supposed to get it from. And they fail to realize that, hey, God Almighty wants to accept us, but He's only going to accept us on the basis of what His Son, Jesus Christ, did for us. As a believer, I'm accepted in the Beloved. I can lay my head on my pillow at night and say, I'm a son of God. I, I might, have, might have had a bad day. I might have sinned that day. I might have totally blown it that day. But that doesn't change the fact that Jesus Christ is my righteousness. And because of that, I can talk to my heavenly father and say, Hey, father, I messed up today, but thank you for forgiving me. Thank you that you're not going to you're not going to throw me away i am accepted in the beloved and because of that i can have a life that's full of joy and peace and potential and that fulfillment of knowing that my life has a purpose not to go around like a cat or to act like a different gender that's just nonsense and we all know it i think the people that are doing it if they would really just just start to think, they'd recognize, you know what, it's time to grow up and accept the fact that this is who I am and this is the world that I live in. It's rebellion. Number three, and I've got to hurry. You can win the battle but lose the war. Listen, brothers and sisters, Satan is strategic. Second Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul could say it. 
but most of God's people today cannot. Paul said, we're not ignorant of his devices. A lot of God's people are ignorant. They couldn't honestly say it. The past 100 years, we've observed a pattern of Satan presenting wicked things into our culture. Of course, God's people, when they're first presented, were shocked. I can't believe that they did that. I can't believe this is happening. And what does Satan do? He just kind of just backs off and plays dead. And then God's people who have been shocked and risen to the occasion, then we relax and we go back to our normal life. And then what he does is he just starts easing in just a little at a time, incrementally, until all of a sudden he got gets exactly, he gains the territory that he wanted and he doesn't even have to fight for it. Why? Because God's people fought against him vehemently and then they they quit and they relaxed and then he just manipulated his way in because God's people thought, oh, we won. We defeated it. We got rid of it. That's exactly what he's done in America. And it's exactly what he's done in the Christian churches of America. Is there a conspiracy? Of course there's a conspiracy. Who's behind it? Satan. Don't you remember when Satan tempted Jesus in Luke 4? He offered him all the kingdoms of this world. Listen, don't, you're going to think I'm not patriotic and I am. I'm glad to be an American, but it's not my first allegiance. My first and foremost allegiance is to Jesus Christ. But as an American who's glad to be an American, I have to believe the Word of God. And even, yeah, even America is under the dominion of Satan. Satan, God gave him the God little g of this world. He gave him dominion over all the nations. So what's influencing what's going on in our nation? Yeah, there's a conspiracy. Hey, is, is, is Biden and Pelosi and CNN and uh, all, I mean, just name the list. Are, are they in on it? Uh, probably, maybe. They're certainly being pawns to it. But sadly, so are many, many Christians. Listen, there's, there's preachers in pulpits all across America that have, they're being pawns of Satan. Why? Because they're trying to, to build massive mega church ministries, but they're not being faithful to the truth of God's word. Playing right into his hand. And let me tell you something. Numbers mean nothing to God. That brings us to number four. What we really need is God. It's my last point, so relax. What we really need is God. You had 400,000 Israelites against 26,700 Benjamites. 700 of those are from Gibeah. So that's some pretty, you got odds in favor of Israel. But we just read about three battles where the Benjamites just totally, they cleaned house. They won those battles very handedly. John chapter 18 and verse number 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Listen, brothers and sisters, 
This war that we're in is not about trying to accomplish a utopia here on this earth. Listen, we can say we, we want to, we want our nation to be what it used to be. You don't even know what it used to be. It, 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 there was just as much sin. It just wasn't, it, it, it wasn't promoted. It wasn't accepted. Listen, there's a lot of things that used to be in the closet where they belong. Because they're abomination and they're perverse. And listen, people aren't born that way. Other than the fact that any sin that's wrong in the eyes of God, we're all born that way. But we make choices and decisions. Just because you have a lust to do something doesn't mean that God wants you to have that. Hey, those of you with driver's licenses, have you ever, have you ever wanted to kill someone who was driving? Don't answer that question. By the way, live streamers, I didn't say that I've ever thought that. Does that mean you should do it because you felt like doing it? God forbid, what in the world have we become as a nation where we think that if I feel it or if I lust after it, then I'm supposed to get it? How much heartache and suffering has been caused by that mentality? I'm not trying to have this God and country utopia on earth. It's about the souls of men and the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 10 verse number 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ." And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Listen, as long as we think that the fight is in Washington, D.C., we will lose. As long as we think that the battle is only in November every other year, we will lose. As long as we think that we can feed Satan's war machine with finances, with students, with listeners, etc., 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 we will continue to lose. As long as we treat preachers like hired mercenaries to go fight our battles for us, we will lose. James chapter 4, verse number 7 says, Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It all starts with us being knit together as one man, submitting ourselves to God. You cannot resist the devil until you first submit to God. Look with me in your Bible here at Judges chapter number 20. In conclusion, I want to read verse 38 through verse 41. And says here in verse 38, Now there was an appointed sign between the men of Israel and the liars in wait, that they should uh, make a great flame with smoke rise up out of the city. When the men of Israel retired in the battle, Benjamin began to smite and kill of the men of Israel about thirty persons. For they said, Surely they are smitten down before us as in the first battle. 
When the flame began to arise up out of the city with a pillar of smoke, the Benjamites looked behind them, and behold, the flame of the city ascended up to heaven. When the men of Israel turned again, the men of Benjamin were amazed, for they saw that evil was come upon them. Therefore they turned their backs before the men of Israel unto the way of the wilderness, but the battle overtook them, and them which came out of the cities they destroyed in the midst of them. Too many believers today are acting like a bunch of fools, thinking that a big supply of guns and ammo and gold and food and solar panels is what we need to be focusing on. Listen, I'm not saying we shouldn't be prepared and be responsible. I believe that we should vote and I believe we should get involved. I I think that more Christians ought to be in places of civil service and positions of leadership and influence, and we certainly ought to be doing more. But that's not where our heart and our focus ought to be. Our heart and our focus should be on the gospel of Jesus Christ. He alone is our hope and our victory, and everything else becomes a distraction tactic of the enemy. Listen, if he can get you he can get you trying to bunker up and try to, you know, thinking that the guns, you can have all the guns that you want, and I'm all for guns. Jesus told, told them, see, they said, here's two swords, and Jesus said, it's enough. Jesus didn't say, be prepared and try to protect yourself. Listen, I, I feel pretty, pretty confident that if one of these bad people came into this auditorium, they're not going to make it out of here alive. And hopefully they would not make it out of here alive before they take any of us to heaven. I think you understand what I'm saying. But that's not the answer. That's not what we're here about. We're not trying to get into this mode of self-protection and survival so that we can have this utopia here on this earth. We're just pilgrims passing through. This world is not my home. I'm looking forward to a home in heaven. I'm going to stand before Jesus, my King, and that's when life is going to really begin, when we get into His kingdom. Listen, when we're in His kingdom, we're not going to have to worry about all this because He's going to rule and reign with a rod of iron. We get all worked up. It's like, hey, what do you expect to happen in America? I can't believe this is happening. Well, it's happening every nation and every kingdom that's ever been on planet earth. We're a Gentile nation. What what should we expect? We should just be thankful for the times of revival that we had in this nation and for the good godly influence that came from this book and enjoy whatever we can. But our focus needs to be on lives and souls that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, if we get our guy in Washington, D.C., and we get our guy in the guys in the Senate and the, the House of Representatives and all the way. If you, you can get all of that, and guess what? We're still going to have all kinds of problems because the problem's right in here. The only hope that we have is for changed lives so that more can sing like Brother Sam sang here this morning. I've got a brand new daddy. I'm not the man that I used to be. I'm not the, the woman that I used to be. I'm not the child. I'm not the teenager that I used to be. All because of Calvary, Jesus made that difference in my life. 
Listen, don't get drawn into the tactics of the devil because all he's going to do is draw you in and then he's going to set your home on fire. He's going to set your church on fire just like Israel did with the Benjamites. Listen, I know Israel was the ones that won. They needed to win, but it's still military tactics and it's exactly what Satan does. Last Friday's decision by the Supreme Court should not be seen as a victory of war, but rather as a declaration of war. Now is when we need to be fighting. Now is when we've got something that at least we can sink our teeth into and say, hey, we've got to stand up and start doing the things that need to be done. I never thought that Roe v. Wade would be overturned. Oh, me of little faith. I had a little bit of hope, but I didn't have any expectation that it would happen. But it did. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Listen, who's waged the war? I guarantee you, the wicked side, the Benjamites, they're waging a war on us. Are you going to cower? Or are you going to trust God? Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10 says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood and Democrats and... Oh, sorry. But, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places... Listen, you're going to get your guns and your food and you're going to do all of these things. To and How about just forget about that and go spend an hour in prayer. See how that does. That's where our power is. You know, <laughs> some of you, your Christian life is like a WWF wrestler. A lot of activity, but it's fake. Sorry. Hey, NASCAR's real. Did I just overcome that? (laughs) Sorry, wrestling's not real. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Listen, folks, it's time to get serious about sanctification and holiness. It's time to get serious about evangelism. You know, it breaks my heart all over this nation. The liberals, the people who just want to be able to have free sex and kill the baby. You know, like it's a, like it's a byproduct, not a life that God gave. All over this nation, you know what they're doing? They're rallying. Uh, they're at, they're at, at uh, the Supreme Court. They're at major cities. They're all over this country. And what do they do? They got signs. And some of those signs are vile. And they're, they're all kind of anti-sentiment against our court, against Christians, against those who are against abortion. And we're for women's rights and all of that. You know, you don't find any signs that say they're for the rights of the unborn. All over this nation, holding signs yelling out and screaming their agenda. We had about eight people on street ministry yesterday. Jesus saves. 
The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. I'm not a guilt trip preacher. You know that. And I know, hey, some of you, you had other things you had to do. I know. I'm not, I'm not saying that you don't care about souls if you weren't there yesterday. But wouldn't you agree that it's time that we start getting serious? If the enemy can love their sin that much, that they'll travel across the country to yell and scream their poison, and we've got the truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ, why can't we have the same passion? What's wrong with us? Do we think, what, what do we think that we're supposed to be doing? We've got to start telling people about Jesus. It's time we get serious about the Bible. Knowing how we ought to live and how we ought to think. Making decisions that are based on the principles of God's Word, not based on what our culture is doing around us. And it's time to get serious about prayer. Time to get serious about prayer. God needs more soldiers in the battle. You say, well, God's going to do it. God's sovereign. God's going to take... No, God said He wants you and me to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. God sent us to preach the gospel. God gave us responsibility to live holy and righteous, not vicariously through our parents or our grandparents or someone else. He called you to be a soldier for Jesus Christ. We need to get right with God and get serious. God didn't give them victory until they got serious in chapter 20, verse number 26. They started, they made a sacrifice to the Lord. They wept. They prayed and they fasted. They even did away with some food in their life because they wanted the victory. Listen, some of their fellow soldiers had died in those first three battles that they lost. They were so outnumbered, but it didn't matter until they had God on their side. God empowering them, it did no good. Brothers and sisters, I hope and I pray that you'll take this message and the intent that it was meant to be delivered here today. And I hope that this won't be one that you file away and say, well, that was a good message. That was true. I hope you'll do something about it because we're at war and the war is for your home, your marriage, your children, our culture, and we're losing this war. And... um, It's time that we start taking these things serious or we're just going to keep losing. Don't be whining and complaining about the way that things are if you're not doing what you're supposed to do to make a difference.